Well, praise God. Well, why don't we just go ahead and lift our hands and right now say, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you that right now as we open up the Word of God, we know that you were the inspiration behind it. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you work together with us and you reveal the Word to us. We thank you that the Word is alive and it is quick and it is powerful. And I thank you that it hasn't lost its power today. It still has the same power as which it was sent forth with out of the mouth of God. And so, Holy Spirit, we release you to do your work. Let revelation knowledge flow. Let inspiration flow. We thank you, Father, that we always know what to do when we need to do it. We're never short on wisdom because you said if anyone lacks wisdom, to ask you and you give liberally. So we ask right now and we receive it in Jesus' name. Are you expecting liberal wisdom this morning? Yes. When we use the word, the word works. The Word still accomplishes what it was sent forth to do. And I just want to take a moment and welcome all you that are joining us via the Internet this morning. We just thank you for tuning in. And we just ask you to latch on and grab hold with us this morning as we open the Word. Follow along with the Scriptures and you'll receive just as much right where you are at home as these people right here with me. Well... We are in the midst of our summer series, which we've been doing on the kings of Israel, and not all of the kings of Israel, because there was just so many of them, there's no way we're going to, we'd be able to get through them all, even a summer, a year, or even two years. But we started with King Saul, and the reason why we started with King Saul is because he was a bad king. He was not a good king, but you can learn from the example of others just as much of what not to do as what to do, right? You know... We don't have to worry about, well, I don't have the experience of a lifetime. We have the experience of like a thousand lives here. There's what, the, there's what people have done. The Bible was written over, what, 4,000 years? And so we have lifespans of good examples and bad examples that we can pull from without having to experience those things for ourselves. You know, people say that experience is the, great, the best teacher, and I don't necessarily disagree, but uh, I don't want to have to experience hardship. I don't want to have to experience loss to understand that I don't want to go there. And some people say that, well, if you don't go there, you won't be able to enjoy life as much when you go through the good times. I don't believe that at all. I believe God is good and his mercies are new every morning. God didn't say uh, that I'm good, but you have to experience all the devil's bad in order to understand just how good I am. So I believe that when we look at those people in the Bible, they're there for our example, and King Saul was a bad example. We look at him and we say, don't want to do what he did. But for the last few weeks, we've been going over King David, who's probably, well, he is the best king that Israel ever had. And so there's so many things that we can pull from him. Yes, he's got some bad things that we can pull from and learn not to do, but there's also a lot of good things that David went through. But the thing with David is God said this, and it's the only person he said it about anyone in the whole Bible, and that is this. I have found David, who is a man after my own heart. He will do everything that I want him to do. Now, David wasn't going to do everything God wanted him to do because he was an obedient guy. That's not why God thought that David would do that. The reason why David would do everything that God wanted him to do is because he thought like God and he acted like God. And that's what the word heart meant there. It's the word lavav, and that word they say it applies to the mode of thinking and acting. 
And so the reason why David would do what God wanted him to do is because David already had those thoughts in his heart. He had aligned his thoughts with God and therefore his actions were beginning to flow out of it. Now David doesn't need to be the only one in history that this is said about because Paul told us to not be conformed to this world but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can be transformed. I lo- I, you know, you think about those movies there that they did, well, the Transformers where they, you know, they, they drive around as cars and then when it comes time to fight battle they turn into these robots and there's you know, flashing balls of metal rolling all over the screen and everything like, like that. They were taken from one state into another. When you step into Christ, you were taken from one state into another and there's more to you than meets the eye. That you don't have to stay the way that everybody else is. You have more at your disposal than the world does. And it says we can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The fact is that you can have more beneath the surface of your life than you know but when you know you can use now if Garnet was such a nice guy and he said pastor Jordan I've just deposited a million dollars into your account have fun I'd be like woohoo thank you Garnet and because I now know it I'm gonna go and use it right There's now a whole bunch of possibilities that have just been opened up to me. But say Garnet has deposited into my account, but then never told me about it. What happens? I don't use it. It doesn't change my lifestyle. It doesn't change my possibilities. It leaves me the same way that I've always been. But that's not what God did. He changed your possibilities and you can have your life transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can take what the word of God has said about you and say, man, if God said it, then you know what? I'm just gonna go ahead and believe it and believe that it's true. And when you believe that something's true, you begin just to act like it. Oh, come on. You don't act on things that you don't believe. You don't do things that you don't believe. If you didn't believe that that chair was going to hold you this morning, you would not have sat down in it. But you looked at it, made an assessment, and said, that chair will hold me, and I sat down. You know, I was, I was scrolling through Instagram yesterday, and I came across the, the, the feed for Thor Bjornsson. He's, he was last year's world's strongest man. He's the strongest man in Iceland, and he weighs about 400 pounds, and he's like six foot nine, and he was showing a picture of he was at the airport, and he sat in the chair, and it broke. And he said, this is my first experience with an airport chair breaking, which led me to believe that it's not his first experience with a chair breaking because he used airport chair. And so that man, because of his size, whenever he comes to a chair, he has to do an assessment. Is it going to hold me? And if he believes it, he's going to sit down. Well, maybe you're just as ginormous as he is. Maybe if we looked at you in the spirit, you'd be six foot nine, 400 pounds. Maybe there's more to you than meets the eye. But what do you believe about yourself? Do the chairs hold you? You always act on what you believe. And so if we look across a lot of Christianity, we can say this. They don't actually believe what God has said about them. Because if they did, they'd be living a little differently. They'd have different expectations. But we said with David, we looked at first at his story with Goliath, which is one of the most famous stories 
You know, everybody knows it. Little shepherd boy slings a stone into the head of the fearsome giant, knocks him down, chops off his head, yay, hooray. And that's like the most famous story of the Bible, and yes, it's great. But we said this, that a true test of character isn't about how you are on your best days, but how you act on your worst days. And so though David had a lot of good giant days, a lot of good warrior victories, a lot of we conquered the the areas around us and the kingdom expanded days, David also had a lot of very bad days. And so a true test of his character is what we look at on his bad days. And so two weeks ago we looked at his, his heartbreaking loss of when he was going out to fight with the Philistines and they rejected him and said, you know, we don't want you to fight with us. You're the guy that they sing the song about that David has killed 10,000s of Philistines. Why would we want you on our side? And so they send him back and as him and his men are coming to the town of Ziklag where they were living at that time, the Amalekites had come in while they were gone and they had stolen all of their goods. They had taken away all their wives and children to take them away as slaves. And so David is just heartbroken and on top of that his 600 men are just as heartbroken as him and they say to him, you know what? This David guy, we were following him. This is his fault. Let's kill him. And so we find out what David is really made of in that moment. He says, get me the priest's garments. I'm going to talk to God. And so we looked through what he said through Psalm 119, which basically it starts like this. Hey God, where were you? Anybody ever felt that way? Come on, be honest. I'm not the only unholy one here. You ever been like, God, hey, where were you? And he starts it off like this. My eyes are tired because I've been crying for so long and the smoke from the burning city is burning my eyes. He's pretty blunt with God. And you know, God is not afraid of your emotions. You know, a lot of people think that you can never think a negative thought or think a wrong thing or, or God's not going to follow through. You know what? He is not afraid of your emotions. He created you with them. He knows when you're having a bad day and he's still not scared of it. But the thing that I've learned about emotions is you can have them, but don't let them be the last word. And so David starts off with his wine. God, where were you? The city's gone, my wife's gone, my kid's gone, my stuff's gone. Kind of sounds like a country song. <laughs> she took the dog. But he didn't leave it there. He said, but I know you'll still come through for me even now. You can have a bad day, but let God's opinion of the situation be the final word. And so a true test of your character isn't how you are on the best days, but how you act on the worst days. But this next section that I want to handle this morning is this. The habits that you form on the good days will be your predominant responses on the bad. You know, most people believe that in the midst of a situation that they will rise to the occasion. But that is not the case at all. If we look at militaries from around the world, they have understood that you never rise to an occasion, but you fall to the level of your training. And so what they do is every day, they make them run. Every day, they make them shoot. 
Every day, they make them take their weapon apart and put it back together. They make them go for long periods of time where they put them in stressful situations. They deprive them of sleep, and then they say, hey, wake up, let's go, because they want them to, to see how they will respond when they are under pressure. You know what? You need to start practicing now for how you're going to respond from when you're under pressure, because what you do today will determine how you respond in that day. And everybody thinks that we'll be better then, but God's saying, why don't you be better now? And so the habits you form today on your good days will be your predominant responses on the bad. Now, a habit can be defined as a settled or a regular tendency or practice, especially one that is hard to give up. You know, I think when I look at habits in my life, I've always viewed them from the negative side. I need to train myself to work out a little bit more. I need to train myself to, to eat a little bit better. And so I found that I've always been focusing on not doing something. But I, I've come to learn, as the older I get, whenever I try to not do something, I've only empowered myself to do it all the more. And I, I like what Joseph Prince said. He said, most people know how to curse themselves better than they know how to bless themselves. And so we need to learn how to speak blessing and act blessing in our lives and create settled and regular tendencies of going to God to praise his name. And so for this morning, I want to look at David's habit. And in order to do that, we need to go back to his Goliath story. And what was the main takeaway we said from Goliath is that you never run at your giant with your mouth closed. So how did it go? David's walking out towards Goliath, and Goliath says, Am I a dog? And he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. That's an important point that I don't think we've talked about. You notice that Goliath was cursing David by his gods, and nothing happened? That's because they were not gods. And one of my favorite stories about the Philistines has to do with they, they break in, to the land of Israel and they steal the Ark of the Covenant and they take it back to their land and they put it into the temple of their God whose name was Dagon and they put it right beside their wooden carved statue that they have of Dagon and they leave it and they come back in the next morning and Dagon has fallen over and is face down on the ground and they're kind of like wow that's a little strange was there an earthquake last night you know a little bit of wind or something and so they set him back up and they go about their day and they come in the next morning and this time Dagon has fallen down and he has broken his hands off and he is sitting on the threshold of their temple and I, I just love it that here they have this person that they call a god who is absolutely powerless you have to understand that some of the things that the world calls gods are nothing but a fraud there is only one God. He has one son. His name is Jesus. And he is way more powerful than anything else. And so Goliath curses David by his gods. Nothing happens. But then David replies, you come at me with a sword. You come at me with a spear. You come at me with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, God. And today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and I will cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. In that day, do you think David responded that way because he rose to the occasion? No. 
David had a little bit of practice. David was actually tapping into a spiritual principle. If we jump forward into James chapter 3, he said this in verse 2, Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Is that a true statement? Or am I the only one? Maybe I should hang my head down. We all make many mistakes. But he says, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. And we could also control, everyone say this with me, in every other way. So James tells us that this little thing that we have in our head that kind of flaps around has a lot of control over what happens in your life. And he goes on in the next verse, he says, we can make large horses go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And then he says in verse 4, he says, we, a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. I like that picture. Even though the winds are strong. There could be a lot of storms going on in your life. There can be a lot of trials and circumstances, but that tongue still has more control than the storm has in you. And in verse 5, he says, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes a grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. You know, obviously your tongue does not shoot fire in the natural but do you understand the things that you're empowering with your words? I found that David more and more understood this concept than more most New Testament believers did. You know, it says sometimes our tongue, it praises the Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. It says in blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth, and surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. So how did David know that when Goliath was speaking, he should have a response? Well, if we look at one of David's earliest psalms when he was written, that he wrote from when he was a young lad, and that's found in Psalm 1914. And this is what he said during one of his times alone with God. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. That tells me something, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart cannot be pleasing to the Lord. Just as much as it can be pleasing to the Lord. Okay, come on, everybody shake it off here. The words of your mouth can be just as pleasing to God as they can be unpleasing to God. So what has been coming out of your mouth lately? Has it been things, has there been deter determination in your heart saying, God, I want to say what you say about me. I want to think the thoughts that you have about me. And David had made that determination in his heart. God, I want what I say and what I think to be yours. You know, we all have heard this verse before, but when Moses had died and Joshua is now taking over, God talks to him, and this is what he says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So God's number one uh, method or, or uh, get my words straight here God's number one instruction to Joshua was take the word 
and put it on your mouth. Speak it, do it. And then he says, and then. You know, most of us want it to be, let us be prosperous and successful, and then we'll start talking good. But God's saying it's the other way around. Take the word of God, put it on your mouth. And that's exactly what that word meditate means there. When most people think of meditation, they think of it from the Eastern standpoint. Let's empty our minds. Let's quiet ourselves. Push everything out. Empty your being and um, calm yourself. You know, that's not what God's talking about here when he told Joshua to meditate on the word. The word he used there is hagah, which means to utter, to speak, to mutter, and it comes from the root word to whisper or to murmur. Now, I, I have to say, I've heard my kids murmur a lot in a negative direction. I don't want to go make my bed. You know, it's kind of like the Yosemite Sam syndrome. A lot of people are pretty good at meditating that direction about all the things they don't want to do, all the things they don't want to see, all the pressure they don't want to be in. But God told Joshua that you can take that same principle and put words on your mouth and put yourself in a direction of prosperity and success. And so he said, take my words, and he said, meditate on them day and night. You can take the word of God and put it on your mouth and let it direct your direction. It's kind of like putting the autopilot on. You know, we've got some fancy cars nowadays where you can just get going, put your GPS in, and the thing will even change lanes for you. It'll slow down when a car gets in front of you. It'll speed up back up to the set, the set speed that you've put in there. That's pretty awesome. But if you can have that in a natural technology, God has already had that for a long time in a spiritual principle. You put the word of God on your mouth and it'll take you through into the land of prosperity. You speak his words and it'll take you to those places. You always get a choice. And so David said, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, what was David meditating on? You want to know? This is what David was saying that he thought were good words and good things to think on. This is what he said in verse 7. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, and they revive my soul. I like that because there's days where in a, in a mental capacity, I'm just like, God, I've had enough. Well, when you put the words of God in your mouth and let them begin to direct your path, it begins to revive you. It says the decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making the wise, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right. They bring joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. The reverence of the Lord, come on, turn. The reverence of the Lord is pure, lasting forever, and the laws of the Lord are true, and each one is fair. They are even more desirable than gold, even the finest gold, and sweeter than honey, even the dri honey dripping from the comb. And then he ends with this. He says, they are a warning to your servant and a great reward to those who obey them. That's what David thought was a good meditation of his heart. That's what David thought were good words to put on them. He decided that he would declare the goodness of God and how wise his word was. And that's what he felt would direct him good. 
Here's another one that we can see how David has put this into a good practice to make it a habit ahead of time. He says, O Lord, in Psalm 139.1, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know the, my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me. Come on. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. So what was David putting into habit right there? He was making sure that he had a God is here mentality. You realize that God is always there? On your best day, on your worst day, during the things you don't want anybody else to know about, he's right there. And so David was practicing here in Psalm 139, having a mentality that he remembers God is right here. And I find that a lot of Christians have God is distant mentality. That I somehow need to get myself back to him like he went on a trip or that you've gone somewhere. But God doesn't go anywhere. In the midst of your darkest trial, he's there. When you're up on the mountaintop of your best blessing in your life, he's right there. Whether you feel him or not, he's there. Now, why was that important? Well, actually, let's continue on here. In 139.6, he says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit, and I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me, and your strength will support me. So here we see that he's ingraining into himself, not only is God there, God is going to give me the direction that I need wherever it is I am. That he's going to guide me and he's going to support me. You know, I found that a lot of Christians believe that God can turn their situation around, but not a lot believe that God will. And so David's mindset in this is not only is God here, he's going to give me strength, He's going to guide me, and he will support me. He says, I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as the day, and the darkness and light are the same to you. So David has practiced these things, and we have lots and lots of his psalms where these are his thoughts and his words being sung out to God, being written down in his poetry, now, the ones that I just read you out of Psalm 19 and Psalm 139, those were on David's good days. Because what did I say? The habits you practice on your good days will determine your predominant responses on your bad days. Which means that the bad day should look similar to the good day. So let's look at this situation. David finds himself in a problem with a guy named Doeg the Edomite. So David has been on the run for seven and a half years from King Saul. Not, not fun. He's, he's finding support wherever he can, and he has found a network of priests who are willing to support him, give him food and shelter when he needs it. And he goes into the temple one day, 
And this man named Doeg the Edomite happens to be there at the same time. And the Doeg sees the priests bring David resources. And he sees them give David the sword of Goliath. And Doeg takes that information back to Saul, and Saul says, Saul's pretty upset, and he's, Saul is a very mentally unstable person by this point. He's basically a crazy guy at, on the throne, and that's really not a good place to have a crazy king. And so Saul says to his man, he says, I want you to go down and kill all of those priests, and not one of them would do it. At least somebody had some sense. And then Doeg the Edomite says, hey, if you guys won't, I'll go do it. And he goes and he kills 85 priests that were supporting David. And then he, not, he takes it a bit further. He goes to the town of Nob and he kills all the men, women, and children and all of the donkeys and all of the sheep. He kills absolutely everything. And in one swoop, he has completely destroyed David's support network. So there's no more food coming, there's no more provisions, there's no more shelter, they're all dead. And he's on the run, now being chased by an army led by Doeg the Edomite. So this is not a good day. And this is the words that David writes in the midst of this situation with Doeg. Psalm 34, 1, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord and let all who are helpless take heart. Now this is interesting. Let all who are helpless take heart? That means that David is not feeling helpless. He's trying to direct others that are feeling helpless. So in the midst of a bad day when he's just lost his entire support network, David does not feel helpless. Why? Next verse says, Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness and let us exalt his name together. Why does David not feel helpless? Because he's still got the only thing that matters. He's got God. And he says, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. What a novel concept. And sometimes when people start to tell me what they're going through, I ask, have you asked God about this? Have you talked? And most of the time they go, oh, oh yeah, I have. And I'm like, if it took you that long to say yes, the answer was no, you haven't. And I don't, I don't put people about down that way because I'm the same way. We go going through things and Robin's like, have you even prayed about that yet or are you just complaining? <laughs> right? So David's not feeling helpless because he knows who his God is and he says, I prayed to him and he answered me and he freed me from my fears. You know, David hasn't been freed from the situation yet, but he's already been freed from his fears. He says, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. <laughs> no shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened, and he saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard, and he surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, a lot of people like to quote that situation, and they're like, oh yeah, taste and see that the Lord is good, not realizing that David is standing all alone without support. Because in the exact same situation, you can do the same thing. You taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of him who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. 
Why is David talking about his need right here and, not, and in terms of God? Because he just lost his supply, but he never lost his source. You know, we treat our jobs and our sources of income like they are the end-all, be-all. But you have to realize if it all ended today, you would be okay because your God is still on the throne. Ask Elijah about that. The economy does not need to be your source. If it ended tomorrow, you could still be fine. And he says here, even strong lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? <laughs> you know, that, I, that David stopped and asked the question, so I thought I'd pause. You want to live a life that is long and prosperous? You ready? We ready for the answer? Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. If I was using a handheld mic, I could go and do the mic drop. David asks the question and then he gives the answer that most people don't want to hear. Your mouth is setting the direction that you're going to go. And when he says, keep your lips from telling lies, I don't believe David is referring to you lying to people, but I believe we speak things against God's word all the time. When we take what he said is true and speak the opposite, that is a lie because God only speaks truth. He says, let God be true and every other man a liar. So I'd have to say there's been pretty much a lot of times in my life where I've been the liar and I've spoken the opposite, but that doesn't have to be the case. It says the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help and he rescues them from all of their troubles. And the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to his rescue every time. Remember, the only reason David was speaking this on the bad day is because he had been continually speaking it on the good day so that it had become second nature. When da Goliath cried out, am I a dog that you're coming at me with sticks? David didn't hesitate. He says, no, but I'm going to chop off your head anyways. The reason why the response was quick on David's lips is because he was used to talking that way. I think Christians need to get used to talking victory a little bit more. They need to get used to talking success. They need to talk healing. They need to talk health. They need to talk provision. They need to talk opportunity. They need to talk that the windows of heaven are open, that God is not distant. He's still on the throne and he's still present right here to deliver. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. So, here's the question we need to ask. What habits do you need to form now? Because I can't answer that question for you because I don't know how you respond in situations and I don't know what you're doing on the good days. But I do know what you're doing now is going to affect when you do get in the problems. And they'll determine whether or not it becomes a speed bump or a pit. Because we often think that life gets to determine that. It doesn't. No, right. We do. 
There's few things that we get to choose, but you know what one of the greatest ones is? Is our response. So maybe you're prone like me to anxiety and worry. Sometimes I sit there thinking over and over and over about things that will never happen and conversations that will never happen, and then I found myself, I've wasted an hour, and I'm like, why did I even think about that? That's not even true. It's not going to happen. Well, we can do this. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. You want to know how to meditate on the word of God? God, I thank you that you keep me in perfect peace. I thank you that I trust in you and I choose to fix my thoughts on you. I thank you, Father, that right now peace surrounds me like a shield. It goes before me. Everywhere that I go, your peace is because where could I be where you are not? And I know that you're not experiencing anxiety. You're not experiencing worry. So I thank you, Father, that I am in peace right here, right now. It surrounds me, and it's not going anywhere. That's how you meditate on the Word of God. You take the Word of God, and you apply it into your life. You know, when I was working at the Prayer and Healing Center, we would have all these terminal ill people come in, and they've only got weeks to live. Some of them got months. And they they all come in, talking the same way about how they're about to die. They start telling us about the doctor's report and all the different things that are going on in their life. And our response is always the same. We would teach them what the word of God would say and we'd talk about this subject. What's on your mouth? What's on your words? And you could see a dramatic shift in some as they would begin to take the word of God, believe that it's true, put it on their mouth and walk into their healings. But sadly, there was way more people that choose to stay exactly where they were. Their words never changed and they went home to their grave, sadly. You don't have to be that way. You can pre-program yourself today of how you're going to respond. Maybe you struggle with areas of like self-worth. Well, here's a good one for you to meditate on. God, you are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he's planned for us a long time ago. You can say this, God, I'm so glad that I'm your masterpiece. I thank you that I'm your best creation. I thank you that you did the best brush strokes on me, that I am your prized possession, that you hang me above the mantle of your house. And begin to, yeah, come on. God loves you. God loves you. And so when you begin to meditate on how much he loves you and how much your, his, your value is to him, it's hard for you to devalue yourself when you know how much you are valued. Maybe you're one that struggles with direction. I hear lots of people, oh, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what I should do. You know what? That should never be a position that as Christians we find ourselves in because we have verses like we started with today. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to liber- all liberally without reproach. It'll be given to him. I like that James didn't say, ask God for wisdom and he'll consider it. There was no wishy-washy language in it. He said, ask. And it's not even that he gives you what you need. This is good for on the nature of God. He didn't just give them what they need. It says he gave to them liberally. How do you view God giving to you? Just enough to get you by? 
just enough to get through the situation? Or is God a liberal giver in your eyes? Hallelujah. Someone needed to hear that this morning. God always gives with liberality. I like this one here too when it comes to direction. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If you feel like you don't know what to do, get in the word. It is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Walk where it illuminates. So the habits you are forming today will determine your response tomorrow and in the situations of life. So I want to leave you with something this morning. When is the best time to plant an oak tree? 20 years ago. When is the second best time to plant an oak tree? Right now. You can allow yourself to be distracted by all the things you didn't do in the past, but that won't change the future. What will change the future is what you choose to do now. Plant the seed. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it stands true forever, that it doesn't change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever because that's how you are. We thank you, Father, that your word still delivers today and that this word that you've given us this morning, Father, that you will see it rooted into our lives when we choose to walk it out with you. We thank you that we can meditate on the word and see our ways become prosperous and successful. We thank you that you've given us that power and that ability that we can call to you and you answer, that when we feel helpless, you are our help. When we feel discouraged, you are our encouragement. When we feel sick, you are our health. We thank you that in all things, you are the solution. And so, Father, we ask you to show us the areas that need new habits. We ask you to illuminate them for us and give us the strength and determination to walk into the change. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Maybe you've been watching us this morning via the internet and you haven't made the most important seed in your life that you need, and that's Jesus. If you will take him and plant him in your life, you will see a major change as he begins to grow and to infect every year of your life. And we would love to pray with you right now and lead you into the kingdom of God. Don't we, church? So, Father... We thank you for Jesus, and right now we receive him, and we thank you for him, in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with us this morning, I'd like you to get in contact with us. We'd like to put some resources in your hand and get you hooked up with a good church in your area, but above all, guys, you get to be the choice. You get to make the choice of what habits and what responses you have. And I really encourage you to stop and take some time this week and say, God, I've always seemed to respond this way. How do I change that? And he's always faithful to walk the journey with you. You guys are blessed. Have a wonderful week. And remember that God loves you and accepts you as you are right now. Have a great week.